Even though people are united by a common language, it's amazing how difficult conversation can be. What we think we've said is not always matched by what the other person receives, and those misunderstandings can result in a humorous story or a painful divorce. In this episode of Leaning Forward, we put the spotlight on conversation and explore some principles and techniques for creating connection and value through our daily interactions with others. I'm Andrew Thorpe. Welcome to Leaning Forward. like your hair that short? Do you want to watch something else? Do you ever get the feeling that you've chosen the wrong career? These are fairly common questions, but there's something interesting about them. In each case, the person posing it isn't really looking for a yes or no answer. They're an illustration of how tricky the apparently simple act of conversation can be. And that's why I've dedicated today's episode to a skill that we're always using, but never really taught. With the first two questions, the person is saying something in an indirect way. I don't approve of your hair. I want to watch something else. But they don't say it like that. They go around the houses. But how about the third one? Do you ever get the feeling that you've chosen the wrong career? This is an example of someone who's troubled by something and wants the other person to listen to their concerns and reassure them that they're not the only one who's ever felt that way. In all these cases, it's interesting to consider the difference between what um, anthropologist Gregory Bateson called the message and the meta-message. The message refers to the actual meaning of the words, but the meta-message is about the intention beneath the words, and something which often says a lot about the relationship between the two parties. According to Deborah Tannen, um, a linguistics professor based in the US, we often argue about the message when it's the meta-message that actually causes the problems. She talks about different conversational styles and how we have to recognise these differences if we're to avoid misunderstandings that can lead to damaged relationships. And a few years ago, she recorded a Thanksgiving dinner, a dinner party she held at her house with the permission of everyone there, I should add. Um, And the guests were a mixture of New Yorkers, Californians and one Brit And in group situations like this, there has to be a sense of um, how long a pause is normal um, so that people know when to take turns to speak. And the problem was that the New Yorker's idea of a suitable pause was shorter than the rest. Um, So the others really struggled to get a word in because the New Yorkers tended to talk over each other or there was a very, very narrow gap um, between each person speaking. 
She also noticed that if one of the New Yorkers said something that wasn't really picked up by the group, um, they would keep trying several times, in, in one case eight times, whereas the others would just give up. Where two people share the same conversational style, uh, for example, direct, um, it, it can be a, a truly enjoyable experience where you feel you're in tune with each other. But where you don't, it can lead to negative impressions on both sides. And, oh, he didn't let me get a word in edgeways. Or, you know, she had absolutely nothing to say for herself. At this point, it's worth mentioning the different ways people approach conversation depending on their personality type. And the most common distinction is between extroverts and introverts. And we might call them the loud ones and the quiet ones. Extroverts tend to draw their energy from the external world. And they like being the centre of attention. They need the reaction of others to the things that they're saying in order to feel validated. On the other hand, introverts generate their energy from within. And they prefer to quietly process what they hear rather than uh, reacting and, and speaking spontaneously. Both tend to have different conversational styles, and this can cause problems for the other. Um, introverts might feel intimidated and talked over by the loud ones, while the extroverts can be put off their game by a lack of crowd reaction. And both types may actually consider the other uh, rude. But there's a third type, um, a less well-known term. And I remember listening to the author Dan Pink at an event in Liverpool a few years ago, and he asked the audience an interesting question. He said, who do you think makes the best salespeople, introverts or extroverts? Um, so we're all sitting there thinking, well, it should be extroverts, but it's probably a trick question, so I'll say introverts. Um, and then he said, well, neither. Ambiverts make the best salespeople. Ambiverts. So if you take its meaning from the word ambidextrous, um, an ambivert has learned to adapt. They can move this way or that depending on the circumstances, uh, sometimes listening with patience and empathy to a softly spoken person, uh, but sometimes stepping up and be, being more forceful and assertive, maybe in the, the face of a dominant bully. Western cultures have, for many years, portrayed extroversion as something to be admired, uh, an introversion as, as almost like an illness, something to be cured. But check out the work of um, Susan Cain, um, and I've put a link in the episode note. She, she wrote a book called Quiet, and she pushes back against this assertion, reminds us that extroverts aren't the only ones to have good ideas. Um, introverts have a lot to offer as well. But of course, unfortunately, extroverts get more practice at speaking those thoughts out loud. And that can result in them being very good at selling bad ideas. Introverts tend to formulate their thoughts carefully before saying them out loud. Um, and David Mitchell, the, the comedian and the writer, recognises the, the opposite trait in himself. He's a self-confessed extrovert and he'll be speaking at the same time that he's formulating his next thought. 
Um, so we might just be saying, oh, yes, very interesting. Yes. Mm, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yes. Mm. In other words, he's making noise as he's thinking. And that means that he's dominating the airtime. He's squeezing out any opportunity for anyone else to speak. As for the introverts, by the time that they've crafted the perfect sentence in their head, the moment has gone. The conversation's moved elsewhere. I think where ambiversion, this ability to adapt, comes in useful is where is where both introverts and extroverts recognise that their state of comfort, their standard mode of operation is somehow holding them back um, and they decide to do something about it. And they might develop some self-awareness. So extroverts might realise that they tend to dominate discussions and feel bad that they're making it difficult for the quieter people to speak. Um, because after all, they may have great ideas that simply aren't getting aired and that's a loss for the business. So they dial it down and encourage others uh, to have the floor. Equally, introverts may recognise that they need to be more assertive to get their voice heard. They may see it restricting their career or their job prospects when they show little outward enthusiasm. They can see it's holding them back and they decide to push themselves a little bit more into the limelight, to, to lean into the discomfort, as some would say. Susan Cain herself, who, who freely admits to being an introvert, has gone through this process. She performs with confidence um, on the many shows and the panels and the stages on which she, she often appears. But having been in the limelight and very possibly enjoyed it, she's very happy to be on her own uh, in a state of quiet reflection. So I guess it's a matter of meeting people in the middle um, dialing it down or, or, or sort of ramping it up, depending on the circumstances. But you've got to be aware of your natural conversational style in the first place and be willing to adjust it to move towards the other persons. I want to finish with some broader advice on conversation. And for sure, there are some um, bad habits to avoid. Um, but also some good practices to adopt. So here are three of the worst and three of the best. So on the bad side, um, being too quick to offer advice. When you're listening to someone who's explaining a problem that they've got, do you occasionally find yourself thinking, oh, you should do this? To you, the answer seems blindingly obvious. It, it's formed as a thought in your head, it's all wrapped up and ready to go. And yet the other person's still talking. And even though that can come from a good place, this desire to be helpful, being quick to offer advice can be problematic because sometimes what's required is not a quick answer, but an empathetic ear. The other person really just wants someone to listen to them for a bit uh, someone they can unload upon who won't judge them or say they're being stupid. And after a while, um, they might well ask, um, you know, what do you think I should do? And that could be the time to offer some advice. The temptation can be great to say, look, I've seen this before. I don't need to hear anything else. And what you need to do is this. 
But apart from the annoyance that you've caused the other party by cutting them off, you might not have the full picture yet. It could turn out that with further uh, patient inquiry on your part, what you thought was the right solution is not the right approach at all because you hadn't got to the root of the problem. Then we've got hijacking, hijacking the conversation. Occasionally, in an attempt to find common ground, someone will say to you, um, oh, yes, the same thing happened to me the other week. And then suddenly your story of lousy customer service from a telecoms provider has become their story of an awful experience with a builder. And it's no longer about you, it's about them. So you've become the victim of conversational hijacking. I think finding common ground through a similar experience is a perfectly natural thing to do, but there's a way to do it which doesn't feel like theft. If you've listened with empathy, if you've asked some questions and given them ample opportunity to share their experience, it's fine to say, um, actually, do you mind if I share something with you because I really relate to this? And then you've got rambling. Some people use a lot of words but don't say very much. They tend to go off topic. They meander and this makes what they're saying very hard to follow. There's no arc to their speech. There's no journey that we can follow. It's like a a jigsaw with the pieces scattered all across the table. There's no discernible pattern or picture forming that we can see. And it makes listening to them hard work. Um, And after a while, we just won't bother to make the effort. And this comes back to that principle of having a good, clear story to tell. So we've looked at three of the worst So what about some good things that we can do? Well, first of all, be present. There are different levels of listening in a conversation from very shallow, where you're so distracted that you're barely aware that the other person is speaking, uh, to deep and fully engaged. And the second type is actually really hard to do, but it's it's a good level to aspire to. So imagine if you met the Queen That's Queen Elizabeth II, by the way. And she started speaking to you. I expect that you'd be very focused indeed on what she was saying. And one important principle for getting to this level is to be fully present. Decide that you're going to give this person your full attention. Remove any distractions like a mobile phone Because there's always that that sort of feeling that, oh, it might go off. I might get a text alert or uh, some kind of notification. Um, Have the conversation in a place where you're unlikely to get interrupted. And that word decide is critical. Because it reminds us that our intent dictates to a large extent our outward behaviours. Secondly, be encouraging. If you can make the other person feel good about what they're saying, they're more likely to relax and to open up. So give them some encouragement by showing appreciation, interest, acknowledging their emotions as they tell the story. They will warm to you simply because of the way you're reacting and engaging, uh, provided, of course, that it doesn't come across as fake. 
And thirdly, avoid competition. So do you remember the conversational hijacker, uh, the person that steals the limelight away from you and all of a sudden it's about them? And a close relation is the upstager, uh, someone who says, oh, that's nothing, you should hear this. So they've had a worse holiday than you, a more serious uh, sporting injury, a scarier ride at the fairground uh, or an encounter with a Hollywood A-lister and not the B-lister that you were proud to have met. So if you feel the need to pitch in with something better, then resist. Bite your lip, take a pause and, and perhaps save that story for another occasion. So when it comes to being an effective conversationalist, so much depends on something that I've covered in the previous episode, and that's intent. If you enter a conversation with the right attitude, um, perhaps to understand rather than to impress, uh, to leave your ego behind and any tendency to judge, uh, to find the good in what someone is saying um, and be willing to adjust your conversational style to be perhaps closer to theirs, that's when you'll begin to create a better connection um, and leave behind a better footprint. That's all for now from Leaning Forward. Um, I hope you have some great conversations this week. Uh, please tell others if you found some value in this podcast and do stay tuned for future episodes.